Welcome back to the Thoughtful Dad Podcast, co-hosted by Wesley Schantz and Joe Worthy. We hope you've been enjoying our take on fatherhood and the liberal arts, learning that is appropriate to free time and free people, a perspective universally available now thanks to media, be it YouTube, podcasts, but what do we do with all this stuff? The challenge is using leisure time wisely, finding time for it in the first place. Quiet space, reading and listening as if we were reading a book, though we're probably not, and of seeking wisdom, so difficult to measure, but no harder than being a dad. Hey folks, welcome to the Thoughtful Dad Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Wesley. And we're coming at you on a nice, cool fall morning here in the Midwest. A little bit different routine than before, but we'll see how this works. How you doing, Wes? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in the Northwest, and we're a little delayed this week just because of various travel things going on. We had a big birthday last week, and you were flying out for some conference and meetings and all that good stuff. Yeah. And then, then we were like, okay, so we'll just we'll record another day. But then, then I went to the farm, and we spent a little more time there than I had intended. By the time we got back last night, we were like, all right, all right, we'll just we'll just record in the morning. Yeah. And you know, eventually the buck stops here. We gotta we gotta just do this thing. So yeah, it's time that. Sunday morning. We've got our news piece, a little bit about that farm trip, maybe a little bit about your trip too, if you want to share, and then oh, about yes. eating together as a family, the importance of that. Then we have a competing podcast, one of our competitors' podcasts. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, they, they talked about The Parent Trap, not the movie, but like a new book called The Parent Trap. And so we'll talk about what that's all about. And that will lead us right into our leadership piece about uh, supporting parents and what it might mean to give and receive aid um, in this context. So I think it's pretty pretty solid lineup of, of stuff here. But so again, happy birthday, Joe. How are you feeling, old man? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. The birthday was, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I never get particularly excited about my birthday, but actually on that day, um, we had the funeral for my nephew so it was a so, special, yeah, a, special was, one. Yeah. So I was at the very least surrounded by family. I have five sisters. Half of them were upset that it wasn't my birthday. The other half are like, well, Joey said it was fine. So it's fine. And yes, there's five and there's no real half. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that's how it went, but it was fine. Um, couldn't record that night. But the next day I had to get up at like, 345 to catch a flight to Baltimore for an evaluation conference in my day job. Um, I'm the chief of staff of this organization called the Lighthouse Black Girl Projects, and evaluation is a big part of that job. So had to go do that. While I was there, though, I was able to meet up uh, with a colleague um, that also does social justice policy work and her kid, Jack, that was born about a year before Shelly and William. We went to the science museum that morning, had fun. He's great. Um, great kid. We climbed this huge net thing together, got up like halfway. So like, you want to keep going? He was like, no. I was like, me neither. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> so we did that. Um, then we had the conference. A lot of people might think it was boring. I thought it was actually quite interesting. Like we're talking about how to use evaluation to measure if you're actually having or to, to move toward having systemic change in the okay. things that you're trying to do. It's an incredibly important thing to think about. Also a hard thing to think about and implement, especially with people on the ground trying to understand why it is they need to do this stuff. So that was fun. I thought that. Plane touches down, phone comes on to a text from my mom, who is the worst texter, by the way. Mom, if you're listening to this, Max is her. Max is my beagle. Okay. What does that mean, mom? Like, is he dead? Like, <laughs> did he get, like, what happened? So it turns out Max's nail got caught in a recliner and it, speak of the devil, he heard his name. So here he's coming over to listen. It all but tore 
his nail off. So instead of going home, you can set up like, hey, Wes, you want to record tonight? Straight to the animal emergency room to sit there for three, four hours just for them to do some stuff that I knew we probably just should have done. It's just rip the nail off and mm-hmm. put some powder on there and stop the blood. But yeah. the one thing that I could not have gotten him were antibiotics, which is critically important because it's like this like open wound. It's not big. It's not that. Fast forward to the next day, sitting at my desk, hanging out, minding my business. Here comes Shelly. Dada, I hurt. I'm like, oh, you hurt? Come here. She's hot. That's just as bad as your mom's text, by the I way. Like, <laughs> like, well, what do you mean, Shelly? She has you an hurt. excuse. She doesn't yeah. have a lot of language for what's <laughs> <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> <laughs> and she's running in a fever. So, you know, we do the whole fever thing. Uh, it got better, but, you know, like she was getting more and more congested. So we took her to the, the doctor. It turns out she has RSV, which is a viral respiratory infection, um, which is like not supposed to be scary, but it's always scary when you're, when your kid's sick, you know, like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it could always make a turn for the worse. So we did that. And then we've been dealing with that. She has a hard time sleeping. Therefore, we had a hard time sleeping. <laughs> no sleep for anyone. <laughs> no one sleeps. <laughs> and um, here we are. You know, she's on the mend okay. though. She's she's feeling better. During the days, she's fine. It's like more than nighttime, you know, yeah. when it starts to get all congested. But she slept great yesterday, which is like nice. Thank you, Jesus. So <laughs> that's the good thing. Yeah. Once you start getting better, you really appreciate all those little things that you normally mm-hmm. take for granted, right? Eating. Yeah. sleeping mm-hmm. just those normal routines they're so precious oh yeah. and it's hard as a kid to be sick yeah and especially with mel she well, can't get out, sick man. at this point you, yeah. you you need her in pit you know peak health right, right. now um, so, for her own comfort and well-being yeah exactly so mel needs so to no, sleep no, and yeah so that's really important and i just saw them both on camera though that was that was fun yeah, they were having a good time, and then Max came in with his cone, and yeah. he's clicking over. So it's fun to see that that different part of the day there, in the daytime. Right. Yeah, it's been a long time since we visited too, but this was around the time we came to visit, right? For um, for that uh, Thanksgiving a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's this time is for the time. Yeah, I think it's almost time. Yeah, I was thinking like uh, William, he could probably fly in a plane, right? He could do that. Um, oh yeah, we'll see. What we did is we brought Shelly's car seat, and it just like nothing. I don't know if it was a car seat, but let's just say it is. It's just like she's riding in a car, you know. The comfort. She, of, yep, she uh, sits in there. You lock it in. Give her the iPad. See you in five hours. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the iPad, anything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we did some travel yesterday too. Just drove out to a friend's farm. It's a big family farm that they've had and they built a house on about 20 years ago now. So they grow wheat. It's like the big thing in Eastern Washington. And they've got all the big tractors and harvesters and machines and stuff. They have like two big sheds that house all this machinery and these trucks. Um, so William, he got to go and look at all that stuff. He, you know, he watches a lot blast, of he? <laughs> Yeah. It's like, the things in his iPad came to life because right. you know? he watches so much of that stuff on TV. And so he finally got to see it and he got to ride in one of the tractors. So um, Ron came out and turned it on and explained everything that was going on with it. Um, and we drove down a row and then back up the row and then came back to where we started. So he got to experience that. And he was kind of like quiet and just looking around and he wasn't like, you know, super excited in the moment, but you could tell mm-hmm. that it was like, very impactful for him to get to, to get to do that. Is really yeah. cool it, it's never quite like what you would think when they experience those things that they've wanted to experience, you know, they're not like jumping up and down, like doing back. <laughs> they're, they're, they're more just like, Oh wow, this is happening. Yeah. Like just like mouth open. And just like, Whoa. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I think this, the stimulation that he's getting at any given time must be just so overwhelming, you know, like mm-hmm. all the sounds, all the smells, all the sights, the vibrating of the the tractor going through the hard ground, and it has to like dig in with its um, subsoiler that it's it's trailing behind. Um, and so as we were going like up and down the the rolling hills there, he would like lurch around like a like a roller coaster almost. He was all over. Um, 
but it was awesome. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, we were just talking about like what it's like to live in a small town, you know, uh, they live out a few miles from the nearest town and there's just fewer and fewer people out there, fewer and fewer families, especially mm-hmm. with young kids. And so, you know, they're, they're retirement age, but they keep farming because who else is going to do it? You know, they, they want to be part of that community. Um, and they're very involved in like the local fire rescue squad and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So they're, they're really cool people. They gave us a bunch of jam and like preserves and stuff that they're stocked with. Um, and they were making, uh, the whole crew there was like making salsa and uh, we made some rhubarb, rhubarb jelly or whatever with some stuff from our house. So it was a cool day. I hope that those kind of traditions survive. I know y'all there think a lot about family traditions and, and are pretty intentional about like writing them down and passing them on to the next generation. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's like, this is kind of a critical time for those things. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if they're going to make it, um, but I'm hopeful. So anyway, it meant that we got back pretty late last night. We were all a little crabby after a long day. So mm-hmm. it's just as well that we're recording this morning when we've had a chance to rest up a little okay. refresh. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then this, I mean, last night we got, burgers from a really really slow fast food place and we kind of ate together kind of didn't like we're pretty good about eating meals together at the table you know and and doing that as a routine but definitely not a hundred percent how how important is that for you all how, how much of a effort do you make to make that happen at the table i think it is very important it's it's really like our default almost like something has to be going on to make us um stop but now that you mention it um i suppose it's not as like you know like as we might think as as much as it's like a habit you know but we try to make it that way and you know like i think it's incredibly important we tend to like cook a lot at home like we don't do a lot of takeout except for like when things get like really busy but even yeah. when we do that takeout we end up eating it at the table so i think it's like really really important and in fact wesley there was this um wall street journal article um don't say yeah huh. uh that talks about um how important family dinners are there are, are a couple of things but mainly the child's mental and physical health you know if Kids that eat at the dinner table with their families um, are less likely to commit suicide and are less likely to be obese. And just overall, quote, emotional resilience based off of this Wall Street Journal article that also said that family dinners made a comeback during the uh, pandemic, um, that everyone sort of gathered around together. And so they decided to sit at the table and eat. I don't know that Mel or I made an intentional decision to like sit together at the table. I really think it was a holdover from like both of our families. I know that we always sat at the dinner table together in my family. And I believe Mel's family did too. In fact, (laughs) Mel's family has an entire mealtime manifesto oh wow that i believe (laughs) mel's dad wrote and actually won um christmas i think she got the words framed and sent to her parents and i believe it is sitting like right over their kitchen table at their new home in california so incredibly important you know what they also say, Wesley, is that um, there should be no devices or TV at dinner um, because, you know, for lack of better words, it cheapens the experience. So I'm sorry for your childhood, Wesley. <laughs> My sentence. childhood is a lie. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's been, it's really important for us. I think it's a chance to catch up, I guess a chance to watch how much the kids are eating you know, um, right. and, or to make sure they're eating enough and I guess having some control over what they're eating, like as they get older. 
it's really important. But I think the most important thing is like like having conversations. Some of the funniest times right. like with the kids have been um <laughs> at the dinner table. It just allowed me this one story. So we used to we used to <laughs> well, be kinship caregivers to this little girl who is now adopted. Her name is Kaya. <laughs> and she was so funny. So we made some like Mexican food and I might've put a little bit too much spice in it. And Mel hates it when I do that. <laughs> so I put a little <laughs> too much spice in it. And she was such a peach of, Pe- uh, blah. She was such a people pleaser. So we're all uh-huh. eating it, right? <laughs> and she takes a bite and she's like, this is really good, Uncle Joe. <laughs> I'm like, it's it. And, and her face starts to sweat a little bit. And she goes, oh. <sighs> like, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and I'm like, is, it, is it hot, Dad? She's like, no. <sighs> it's good. <laughs> When I tell you I was belly laughing, it was just the funniest thing. But it's like moments like that, like you can't, um, you can't get anywhere else. Like sometimes like the food is just like not good for anybody. Like it's a new recipe and everyone's like, no, this isn't going to (laughs) work. It's time to order some pizza, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, it's partly the, partly the making the food together and acknowledging that someone made the food and, you know maybe pretending to like it or maybe actually liking it and but it's partly the sitting together and maybe it doesn't matter if you order the food from somewhere else as long as you sit down together to eat mm-hmm. it and yes by and large the conversation should be more important than a shared thing that you're watching together probably <laughs> although there's there's such a thing as dinner and a movie you know right. that's like that's kind of fun you could have some TV or movie on i don't know but once in a while but but yeah this this farm, right? So Mel's family's like that too, right? They're 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 farmers. Mm-hmm. We've got the big house. And the stuff that they've got there, like the the setup to eat outside, they have this big picnic table that is like twenty people could sit at it. It's huge. And mm-hmm. it's made of this old like uh some kind of old container for the wheat from like 50, 70 years ago or so, they repurposed the wood from it to build the table out of in the benches. Mm-hmm. And so like every object there has this story, you know, and, and it's like you're part of it. You're part of that story when you visit the place and when you sit down together um, and they like, I, I just can't really imagine like ever being quite that on top of it, you know, <laughs> um, but I think it is very doable to like actually try to have those dinners, you know, family dinner together as the as the normal thing and if there's exceptions to the rule then that happens right but but as a a general rule like try to do that and and you know on weekends especially i think you can you can really make that time pretty precious and like protect it from any unforeseen stuff you know stuff will happen but, yeah. but almost always you can be like all right we're going to have plenty of time to make a family dinner and sit down together and eat it and yeah there's certainly some health benefits to that but it's also just like that's what it's all about that's the that's why we do all the other stuff we do that's why we work and we do you know so that we can have that time together yeah. i think and so anyway. i also think that um that it's natural to want to sit together with people because i remember around the time shelly was born it was kind of like touch and go whether or not we were going to sit at the dinner table or not but then as shelly got a little older and was able to move on her own. She preferred to eat with other people. Yeah. And she sort of like brought us back to that consistency, you know? And it, and we made an adjustment where we moved dinner up like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Right. To right. fit Shelly's schedule. But it seems to fit everyone else's schedule too. Because if she, you know, if we ate a little later, she'd be like too cranky to sit at the table, but she would prefer that people sat with her while she ate. And we're just like, why don't we just move it up and then we can just all sit together. And then she ate better. She ate um, more of what the other kids were eating. She was more likely to try new things that she saw other kids eating. Um, And so it was like real time benefits of her, like actually sitting there at the table. So yeah, yeah. I, so so I think this is this is my fundamental disagreement with our 
with our competitors on, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> our peers and competitors over at Vox.com. Uh, <laughs> so um, this is from their podcast, Vox Conversations. I think it's what's it called. It might it might be getting a new name soon. Yeah, um, I heard that. They said something about that. Anyway, this is a thing that Sean Illing has. Uh, he's a journalist, but I think he was a philosopher or something like that before he turned to journalism. Uh, and he inherited this slot in their you know media landscape from Ezra Klein, who is one of my role models and great nemesis's nemeses. Anyway, uh, in podcasting, he's like a very good interviewer and he gets really interesting conversation, really deep, you know, yeah. philosophical kind of conversation. So I think Sean Illing is also, you know, he's good. He's pretty good. He talks to really interesting people. He's got a good one with uh, Cornell West on there. He's got some good ones. This one is with a guy, an economist, Nate Hilger, Hilger uh, who wrote a book, The Parent Trap. And he basically lays out this dilemma that parents have. Uh, he says, it is the unrealistic expectation that we place on parents to build a huge range of important skills in children early in their life. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then there's this other layer of the problem, he says shortly thereafter, the difficulty we have in talking about that basic trap, because once we start saying some parents are struggling in certain ways and it's correlated with race and class, it sounds so threatening and it just shuts down the conversation. And I think that's an important part of what keeps the status quo in place. That's his quote there, the top of it. So, I mean, that's the gist of it, right? Like, it's very hard to be a parent for many reasons, but partly because of the expectations and the pressure and the inability to really talk about those things. That's like wrapped up in the, the general struggle of, um, of being a parent or parenting in the modern world. So, I don't know. What do you think of their, uh, their conversation? I think the premise of their conversation is absolutely true and not to sound like a curmudgeon that hates like social media but i think part of it a big part of it is you know the social media culture hashtag blessed hashtag look at you know my kids and what they're doing and a lot of times it's just a snapshot of you know like what you want people to see and of course you know like no one puts crappy pictures in their photo album. So it's not any different than, you know, like what we used to do. I think the difference is, is that other people are seeing it, right? Um, in real time, all yeah, the time. Yeah, in real time. And, and that's making people make those, those comparisons to these other children. And the same way, you know, that like whether you have like your mom blogs or, or what or what what have you that show or your these dad sort of podcast. Like, or your dad podcasts <laughs> that show, you know, these perfect things that happen. Uh -huh. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Which is just simply not true. Like, you know, like most of the time you're chasing around this snot nose marker grabbing, <laughs> writing on the walls, little rad <laughs> and just trying to get them to count to 10. No, <laughs> she even today, she even kind of looks like Harold in the purple crayon. Yeah. She's got her like little jammy still on and she's like running around with the marker. Yep. <laughs> The only difference is the marker's not purple, I don't think. No, it's a black permanent but, marker on the white walls. And it will stay <laughs> Yeah. No, but um, I think the big thing is that you get caught and not wanting to have this conversation, not to feel like you're the only one that's having a hard time with this thing. And I think that's what they mean by the parent trap, that we're made to think that we're supposed to do all this like intricate skill development that we're supposed to like be able to to do all these things for the children when in fact like any other big job you you wouldn't listen to say in the podcast is that you outsource it to other people that are in yeah. fact professionals and could perhaps do it better right like and i thought that part was incredibly important because what they talked about the biggest gap was, which is like child skill development, right? Beyond literacy and numeracy or reading, writing, arithmetic, as we call it over here in the, the Midwest. Um, Three R's. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, those things are incredibly important to their ability to be, you know, like functioning adults and enter into school, school ready, right? Depending on your means, you can't outsource those things. And then when they show up to kindergarten and not ready, they 
don't look at the system. They look at the parents and they say, well, why haven't you gotten your child school ready? And I think that's the big thing. Like if you're working and you have other things to do, and then on top of that, you need to get your, your kids skill ready. You know, that's a big problem. So I, I think they're really talking about a huge, huge gaping issue in the United States policy conundrum, um, which is really hard to get um, traction behind because like anything else, like, well, not like anything else, but this is very particular and that, you know, the parents, there's this revolving door of parents that who it matters to and who it doesn't, you know? So it matters to me now. It will matter to me for the next five years. But then after that, you know, will it matter? Because all the kids would be school age, you know? Right. No, I think... I think that there is a tricky problem here. I think that they're pointing it out in interesting ways. I think it's worth listening to the thing, but but I I just basically don't agree with the analysis that because it's a difficult struggle to prepare kids that we are in some way trapped. Like I I just don't think that's quite the the metaphor or the or the reality really. I just think that does such a disservice to the experience of having a kid there because I think I have learned as much or more from William as he's learned from me or as he should have learned from me. Like I think that's the unrealistic expectation that's at the heart of this is that we're in some way, you know, teaching them everything when in fact it's a it's very much a give and a take. Right. On. And like you learn from them the way in which they're going to learn best and and you respond to that and then but so yes um there is not enough time to do a quote unquote good job at that there's never enough time to do enough teaching of skills um but there's also i think in reality there's there's no rush there's no there's no deadline mm. um kindergarten yeah they're going to go to kindergarten but that's not like going to be the end of their opportunity to learn skills it's currently the start of it and and i think i agree with them that ideally we push that start sooner in some way we we have universal pre-k or we have some sort of system of um professionals in child care and and a, a greater professionalizing of child care mm-hmm. so that those people are valued the way other professions are valued right and those are all seem like good good ideas but yeah i just i just think that the the level of like uh, fear and anxiety that's kind of coming out of the the title of the book i, I think is just kind of mis misguided and I, and i see why like it's it's juicy it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good title in that way but i just i i really don't agree with it as a um a framework for understanding what we do as parents um, anyway that's, do you think he's like playing on the fear and anxiety of like modern parents? Oh, very much. And and it's telling that he starts writing the book before he's a parent himself, but he's clearly like about to be. And then in the course of writing it, he does become a parent. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, I didn't really change my thesis at all. I just think, really? Like you didn't really <laughs> change your fundamental thinking when you had a kid? Because that's kind of... I don't know. Uh, I think it changes a lot for for most people. So that's that's another kind of like red flag for me that he's not being entirely in, ingenuous. He's being a little disingenuous. Mm-hmm. I don't know the opposite of that word. But yeah, but I think he's you know written a book that's probably going to sell a lot. Like parenting books are one of the few things you can really count on to sell a lot of. So mm-hmm. he's probably doing pretty good for himself. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a big problem. Yeah, and and I think like you said, part of the problem is that parents of small children end up being parents of bigger kids pretty soon because the kids grow up um, unless they have like a lot and a lot and a lot uh, of, of kids, uh, which most people don't anymore, mm-hmm. you know? So, so yeah, there's like, there's this kind of emptiness in the constituency that would agitate effectively for a change along those lines. But really it's something that impacts everyone so deeply. Like we, we all are, we really should all invest in much better much more thoughtful um, pre-K uh, caregiving, um, and whether it's you know centralized or whether it's decentralized, whatever. But it should it should be there. It should be an option for people. Uh, it's tricky though. But you're the organizer, Joe. Mm-hmm. You've got a plan. <laughs> yeah, sure. You've got a plan. Well, 
Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting, Wes, and I know the pushback on you in a, a little bit because oh, you know you're a teacher, right? And so one of the big things that he talks about in here is that like a lot of times the success of the kid can be based on the profession of the parent that mm-hmm. are transferable to um, the the children through their day-to-day lives. And therefore, like, they get for free what other children would have to pay for. But they also have to pay for it because their parents may not have the skill set to give yeah. it to them. And because they don't have the skill set to give it to them, I guess, you know, it correlates that they don't have the money to pay for someone else to give it to them. It, you know? it is a cycle. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. No, I, I definitely have inherited my share of picnic tables, right? Like right. I've, I've got that generational wealth mm-hmm. of all sorts uh, yeah. that, that I'm benefiting from. And so from my, my standpoint is definitely a little different um, mm-hmm. than the concerns that he's raising which affect a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And I think me too, like if like literally, so we, we, Mel got me a new turntable a while back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, we heard that story. Yes. Um, has it been any of my records being played or like the adult records in the family collection that have been played? No, it's been all children's records. And uh-huh. there are a ton of children's records in this house. So what does that tell me, right? It tells me that, you know, all the way back to when records were a thing that, you know, like my family make, made an effort, you know, and prior prioritized, you know, like these things um, with children. So, and then, and see, this is where it gets tricky because now am I saying like, oh, does that mean other people aren't making it a priority or, you know, like, <laughs> and this is, I think part of like what the conversation is, is that like, it can get really complicated when we talk brass tacks about like what children need, right? To be effective. And the truth of the matter is, is that there is like a huge gap and achievement levels from people in this country specifically um, with less means, right? And I think what they're proposing is that like we close that gap through introducing like government-sponsored paid implement government-sponsored, you know, implementation of skill set development from ages zero to five. And yes, you know, like he's an economist. And so is he thinking like an economist, like an assembly line of like, we just put all these children here and we get them up to where they need to be. Yes. Is that how it's going to work or maybe the best thing? No, but I do think they touch on something like that's critically important that, you know, for the most part, we are seeing equity and um, the amount of, no, no, we're seeing equality in the amount of funds that are coming to different schools that have been changed over time. Where we run into an equity issue is that the kids who have not gotten skills from their parents or wherever else need so much more resources starting at yeah. kindergarten on than they're actually getting. And so, in fact, those schools are underfunded. And perhaps they wouldn't be if there was something to boost, you know, before then. And so, you know, it's tough, but like, but then also what I trade the things that like my interactions with, with Shelly and the homeschooling process and all the skills and the stuff that I think we're building for her, um, for someone else to do it. I don't, I don't think so. You know, like if I, but if I had to, then I would. And sometimes would it be nice? Yeah. Like they talk about specifically like you know, every parent gets to that point where like, mm, I know you should probably be working on counting to 10, but man, I'm tired, you know? Mm-hmm. And the guilt you you get from not doing it, it's like a real thing, I think. So yeah. it's yeah. tough. I man. think that that's, that is part of the, I, I just would submit that no matter how much supports there are and all the supports might be great, you're kind of come back to that fundamental question of like, am I doing enough? You know, you're going to run into your own limitations and there's no amount of whatever help or support or whatever that, that gets at that. 
that's just that's just a thing that we have to like a word you used earlier was emotional resilience mm-hmm. right like there are ways to build that up but they aren't necessarily things that anyone can do for you they're sort of going to have to come from within the person the family the household and i think a big part of this they don't really touch on is like just the way that our households are set up now the nuclear mm-hmm. household the nuclear mm-hmm. family uh, as this idea that's really pretty new in the world and newfangled and it doesn't work that great <laughs> it's like yeah. it's very isolating i think a big part of it comes back to the grandparents like i yeah. keep i keep bring i keep harping on that because i think it is such a a, a big element in finding a balance between support but also building up oneself uh, mm-hmm. and one's capabilities one's own skills as a parent per se right like whether it's grandparents whether it's friends and chosen family and and sort of things like that there are some ways that people have these capabilities but our mindset and our society is is not geared towards us accessing them and like activating them uh, in a big way and so but but again that that's very unequal from person to person from mm-hmm. place to place and so i think there is certainly room for some kind of you know blanket support like everyone has access to child care for example mm-hmm. like that would be just a no brainer to me like everyone knows how important those first 5 years are why do we just kind of let kids run wild until they're old enough to go to kindergarten <laughs> right. um or or you know um head start in in some cases but but why is head start sort of this like band-aid rather than just like everyone has access to yeah. something like that you know, yeah. it's a, it's almost stigmatized in a way. So that is so yeah. true. Yeah. So we're, we're all about that. And, and I, I'm, we return again to this idea. They kind of raise at, at a certain point in the conversation, they're like, what would organizing around this issue sort of look like the analog they come up with is the AARP, mm-hmm. the, you know, probably one of the most influential and, and reliable sources of, uh, political influence is just retired people for a lot of reasons they're wealthier they have more (laughs) leisure time they have more Mm -hmm. time to agitate and get each other out to vote and stuff like that and and it's really remarkable when you look at you know data from all the elections pretty much ever it's like the older people uh vote the most right right um it's a it's a thing it's all it's as it's as set in stone as anything in politics um and so it's a tricky one but it, it makes a kind of sense to say, okay, why isn't there a, an association of parents, right? An AP mm-hmm. or something like that. Why has nobody made this happen? And it sounds like there are some moves that direction in some places like umbrella organizations that embrace a lot of other groups that work um, on different aspects of parents' needs and kids' needs. Um, but there is no national movement right. so far. So I'm here to announce our platform, the, <laughs> we, the thoughtful dads, hereby have founded the, you know, the association of, yeah. I, I don't know. What do you think? What, what should we do? How do we make this happen? Well, that's the hard part about it. Like once you're in AARP, you know, you're in, you're in, come in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. um, you don't really get out. And I think that's the hard part with early childhood development that you know like sweeping policy changes especially like policy changes that um take you know more than five years like universal child care you know stakeholders are changing year in and year out whereas with aarp i mean the stakeholders are you know just coming in year mm-hmm. in and you know i suppose some people are dying too but like you know, like they're sticking around for a lot longer, whereas, you know, the mm-hmm. the need of the constituency is like five years for one, you know, for um, seniors, the need is going on like 20, 30 years. Right. So there's a lot more staying power there. I do think there needs to be some serious um, umbrella organizing for universal child care. I do think that they do need to try to keep it like just about childcare. But we're talking about a point in time where like the pandemic was politicized. Like literally 
right. we're talking like i mean and I, it's facts right like fact you should probably wear a mask because it just helps with your ability not to spread and to a certain extent not to get this disease right that's just true right but it was turned into a political football i think that's the right way to say it and we're seeing like all sorts of things like election results being turned into political footballs and i could see where like this issue can start to get turned into a political football as well so i think it's critically important to talk about like this is in fact a universal need for people that like if for nothing else every parent left right or center can agree with like hey maybe you need to take a few days off <laughs> and let someone else handle the kids um for a few days um and it will take an incredible amount of discipline because you know there's a lot of things that are just out in the body politic now that you want to like talk about but the folks who would run this thing would probably need to definitely keep it to just like everybody needs help with their kids period and if we can keep it at that then um we can do that another thing Wesley, that i think is important um and this is where we move into our leadership discussion where we talk about giving and receiving aid that it's yes. like critically important for people in general to um understand the importance of aid and not see it as a failure yes. you know I think this is a critical, this has probably been one of the best leadership lessons in my career um, that, you know, like I've heard that this idea of you being able to either one, ask for help or aid, um, or two, receive help or aid with grace and not taking it as some sort of like deficit, mm -hmm. you know, that you have. And it, it may, in fact, like not some like, some source of shame to get help with something right. is like um, a really important idea in parenting. Uh, I always tell the story about like, if you're driving in your car, right? <laughs> and you hear a noise that's clinking, you know, you hear that clink, 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 clink. And you just like, rather than like, like, oh man, I should probably get that checked out. You just turn up the radio. <laughs> right it doesn't the 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 clink is still there but you don't hear it anymore right and we do that a lot of things in, in life right we we hear the clink but we just drown it out with something else and then someone else gets in your car it's like hey what's that clinking noise you know you're like what are you talking about i don't hear nothing be quiet like <laughs> you know um and you know the point is is that clinking noise turns into a clunking noise which turns into a stop on the side of the road you gotta yes. like definitely take your car into the shop now and if you would have addressed it in the first place you know there would have been some inconveniences you maybe would have been out of a car for a day or two you would have had to make other accommodations for your ride but ultimately you would have fixed the problem before it got bigger and i think it's the um the same thing with our children right like you know there are things that I want to be able to do on my own, but if I feel like I'm starting to get out of my depth with any of them, I try to get someone else to help. You know what I mean? Like I've even asked Steph, like, hey, you think you might be able to tutor KJ mm -hmm. <laughs> in math, you know, or, you know, get him involved in other things um, because I know with this, I'm out of my depth, right? Mm -hmm. And to not, ask for help or to see that help as a deficit um that you have to like be like one of these youtube parents and just like know everything about everything is one of the things getting in the way of these really critical policy changes and i think it's one of the things that um you know hurts our children in the long run what say you wesley about giving or receiving and asking for help as a parent oh no definitely and i as you're talking about the car thing i'm thinking again about the idea of how kids can help us and teach us and be teachers and leaders to us. Yeah. Um, and, and I think part of that is their honesty, right? Mm -hmm. They point out as soon as they notice something that's not right, they let you know, yeah. Hey, that's different. <laughs> yeah. What's going on with that? They're very curious. They're very inquisitive. They won't let go of a question. And 
and I think that they love helping to fix things, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they, that is one of their favorite things. So whether it's getting them to help you make the dinner, right? You know, to have them mix something for you while you're doing the dangerous stuff with the fire over there or mm-hmm. the stove, or whether it's, you know, working on, so for me, it's a bike because I don't drive a lot, but, but my bike tire, you know, William loves to help pump the bike tire mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. So the idea of, Giving and receiving help, I think it's important to bear in mind that it is always needed, like it's universally needed, and it's always mutual or reciprocal. Mm-hmm. It's not either or. There is always some benefit that the giver receives in the giving, if you want to think of it in no other respect. Mm-hmm. Right? But there is always something they get back to, I think. Um, or there's a time when they're going to need something or they have needed. Like that's just part of the deal. So I think it's part of the, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a part of the narrative that we, as a society, seem to want to tell about ourselves that there's people who are deficit and there's people who are supplement or whatever, right? They have too much and that's the way it is. But in fact, that's really missing the point. We all need something <laughs> right. uh, desperately, actually. And and we all have plenty of assets to share also, mm-hmm. all of us. So I think that shift is tricky um, because. Yeah, some people have kind of built a brand or, or some companies have built a brand around this like unreal situation of delightful pictures, TikToks and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff is just such schlock. Um, and I think it's pretty widely known at this point. So I think that we're kind of moving out of that phase that, you know, decade or generation or whatever is is kind of kind of done. But it definitely has a lot of economic power still. And, and there is a very large kind of economic shift that we're seeing slowly happen that transfer of wealth and assets from a very old very old way of doing things old people old ways to a transformation if we want to be hopeful about it right a transformation that's going to really revolutionize a lot of things about society but if we want to be a little bit less hopeful about it it's going to be maybe not a 5 year but a 10 year a 20 year process of trying to organize to make some really big changes mm-hmm. um, and and maybe you don't do anything other than vote, but like at least do that. Maybe you have money to give to a cause. You do that, or you have time to go and do. Um, like I, I'm a huge hypocrite in this regard. I, I am very, very limited in what I do politically. Um, but I, but I can at least sort of see like there's there's a need for that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so maybe there is something I can give. Um, so so yeah, um, being more cognizant of sort of universals. I agree is is pretty central and understanding that our political system is designed in binaries and and having to kind of overcome is also really important but that's a that's a hard <laughs> um, theoretical discussion that I don't really like getting personally mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so have we persuaded someone out there to lead the association of thoughtful parents let us know yeah want to hear <laughs> tell us your platform uh, yeah you know of course, I'll help and get, you know, get this thing going. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's important to to like redefine what we see as aid because oftentimes people think that, oh, well, you know, the only aid out there is like asking someone to do something, right? But I see it as a form of aid of picking up a book and reading how to do something like we talked one time like i needed to know how to develop arts and crafts lessons yeah <laughs> for shelly so i got a book on how to do that like like what should her first arts and crafts things that's a form of sitting down with myself saying hmm, joe you don't know anything about this you know I mean? i'm sure i could come up with some stuff but like you're hearing the clink 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 right yeah and you're like okay yeah. i'm gonna address that before it becomes yeah. a clunk 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 yeah right yeah. <laughs> and so you know like i dress it i guess i just address it i don't feel like any less of a parent i wouldn't feel like any less of a parent if i went up to the local art teacher at timmons mm-hmm. mrs rolfe who was my art teacher and said hey you know any ideas for like you know like what i should do with a two or three year old if i saw her i'd ask you know Mm -hmm. and i think again we get to this um this element in parenting which we talked about before 
of trying not to center ourselves, right? Like how other parents see us, how our the grandparents see us, which is usually they're the most understanding. You know what I mean? Like just like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like this is rough. Oh yeah. Um, and getting out of your own way to center the kid, right? And mm-hmm. saying like, this kid needs this level of this. I cannot offer this level of this or like in some cases um and again we're getting to like other issues but when with kj um we started him when he first moved here to to get him reading you remember you remember that yeah oh yeah yeah getting him reading there was a point where i did not have the skill nor the patience to have him continue in his reading journey right Uh uh-huh Enter Teacher John, right? Now, Teacher John, so like I'm looking at them do these sessions and Teacher John is, they're drawing like Naruto and shit and like all these characters, you know? And I'm like, you know, what's what was going on there? And just like, oh, just, you know, like 10 minutes before, you know, we just do some warm up stuff and we just talk and, you know, like we build a relationship. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the reading. I'm like, oh, okay, well. All right, you know, <laughs> but you know, that's not me, though. I can, you know, like I can do that stuff too. Bottom line is last year, KJ was reading at an eighth grade level. Uh-huh. The only thing I did was call teacher John, right? Yeah. Like that is yeah. him, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, but I had to get out of the way to do that, you know, for that to happen. And so do I center myself and say like, well, I'm going to teach you how to read, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Better. Right. Or do I center KJ and say, okay, I don't have this amount of patience. So, you know, like I need you to go with someone else. And I think that's important. Oh yeah. No, I've never got into Naruto myself. Yeah. But but I know kids love that stuff. Uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I think reading is a good paradigm for a lot of this, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I would rather the book be called the parent book. Right. I would rather the book be called, uh, you know, the parents, the parents playbook, you know, something mm-hmm. like that, right? And and yes, there is deficit and difficulty, and there's gaps and there's inequities and all that stuff. But fundamentally, like it's we kind of know what we need to do, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need a lot more people. Uh, we need a lot more help. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of information out there. It's just a matter of sort of like plugging into it or um or sitting with it or learning to read it right um i I think all that is is a beautiful thing um and it comes back to the question of you know do do parents have time to yeah do kids have time to read are they glued to their other screens all the time um and and kind of carving out that time and yeah historically again we're in a pretty unprecedented time of literacy it's it's really like amazing to think about levels of reading now compared to just about any time in the past. But by the same token, we're so much more aware of how important it is, how, you know, we could do, we could be doing better. So cannot rest. There's always more to read, always more to learn. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, West, um, I think our two-year-olds are about just at their limit. If your background is so. anything like mine. So... <laughs> I am also really hungry. All I I got to eat some more breakfast here. Same. Oh, all right. Well, it's been great, folks. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It is a strength, not a weakness. Um, have a pleasant day. Yeah. Okay. Tunnel. 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 Whoa.